HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Good morning or afternoon or evening, whenever you might be listening to this podcast. Welcome to the show. This is the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast, and I'm your host, John Hutspeth. I hope everybody's doing wonderful out there, but I gotta start this episode with a little bit of a rant. I am about to rant a little bit about the state of Iowa and how they do their non-resident tags. So, obviously, Iowa's a great whitetail state, great whitetail destination, and it's that way for a reason. It's that way because they limit, you know, out-of-state hunters and all that good stuff. But trying to get this tag has just been a huge headache. And I'm sure y'all are going to hear me talk about this more. I'll keep you up to date. But anyway, so I've been putting in for, I believe, six years. Actually, five years, and I missed a year, so that makes it six. So this is my seventh year doing something with the state of Iowa. And uh, I went to actually apply for a tag for the first time so in the past i've always just gotten preference points but this is the year i'm actually putting in for the tag i'm actually going to go try to hunt there and it has just been a huge headache so uh logged in over the weekend i was like all right the time is right i've been uh, been talking to some some folks from iowa maybe trying to get some you know landowner permission trying to figure out if i'm gonna do private versus public what zone and everything because like your tag's not just good for the whole state you have to pick like an area so been working through all that. Finally on Saturday, I was like, all right, time to sit down and actually do this thing. So I go, click on apply, and a little warning thing comes up that says like, I don't know, user not able to apply, user not valid, something like that. So start doing a little research and come to find out in order to apply, you have to buy a license. Not a big deal. I could buy a license and keep going. But in order to buy a license they have to have your hunter safety card on file. And unfortunately, of course, being a you know government entity, they are not open on weekends. They are not open after five o'clock. And so when most people, you know, in their free time go to apply for the tag, it's just impossible unless you've already done this before. So Saturday, uh, you know, got, got my card or whatever, got a picture of it, sent it in. Had to wait until Monday. I will say they got back to me fairly quickly. Um, got back to me on Monday, and my card is now in the system, so I can go in and apply now. I think. I haven't actually done it yet, uh, but I think I am now able to apply. So I think part of the reason that the deer hunting is so good in Iowa is because they just try to make it so darn confusing and hard for out-of-state hunters that everybody just gives up. And so well done, Iowa. You know, good strategy. But I'm, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, and I will come this fall and do some deer hunting. So still got to draw the tag. 
Uh, I think I talked about it on a previous episode with the amount of points that I have, the unit I'm trying to draw. I want to say I have somewhere in like a 70 to 80% uh, chance of drawing, so a pretty good chance. So I've been studying the maps, been looking at public places. Uh, like I said, still been trying to talk to a few landowners. I actually came really, really close to driving to Iowa this weekend for Memorial Day. But I uh, decided not to do that to my poor wife and leave her alone with the baby and everything. So anyway, not going to Iowa this weekend. But I just had to just had to get that off my chest and also inform you guys. You know, if y'all are doing the whole circus and trying to go hunt Iowa, just be aware that you need to go right now. Even if you plan to not, you know, put in until the future, you need to go and email them. Uh, a picture of your hunter safety card so that they have it on file so that when the time comes you can actually apply for the tags all right rant over i don't think that was too awful long welcome to the show this week not a lot's going on we had a crazy crazy hectic weekend last weekend um i had my nieces and nephews birthday uh we took them to the zoo what else? We had a wedding. We had a graduation party. I think I mentioned the birthday party already. Uh, my wife's mom was in town. My wife's brother was in town. My sister from Nebraska was in town. It was just a whole lot. We were running and getting nonstop all weekend. Really, I mean, it went past the weekend, too, because uh, the family stayed in town uh, Monday, Tuesday, I think, also. Uh, my poor baby girl is wiped out. She has been having so much fun all day long, and she has been sleeping like a champ at night, which is pretty awesome uh, because mom and dad definitely needed to catch up on some sleep also. So all that to say, haven't really done any outdoorsy things to catch you up on. Um, I mentioned I got all my food plots and stuff planned a few weeks ago. I think I might make it out to the ranch this weekend to check and all that stuff, but I'm not sure yet. Uh, this Friday, actually, when you're listening to this, it would have been last Friday, is actually my birthday, the big 34, and so I kind of have permission for my wife to do whatever I want, just haven't figured out. I really wanted to get my boat out and go fishing for the first time this year, but Memorial Day weekend, the lake's going to be crowded, so don't really know how you know fun that sounds. Um, I don't know. All I know is I want to eat a big giant steak and sleep. Like those are, those are the two big things that I really want to do. So, so yeah, no idea what's going on this, uh, this coming weekend. Uh, didn't do anything outdoorsy last weekend. So not much to update you guys on. But uh, anyway, this week we have what I think is going to be a really cool episode. Uh, I was struggling a little bit. Uh, basically, with all the craziness, I forgot to contact someone to get a guest on the show. And so kind of at the last minute, I had an idea to do a question and answer show, which I've been wanting to do for a while. I think I actually tried to do one last year. Um, so yeah, I put it out on Instagram. You know, any questions you might want to ask. I've got a couple good ones here. I'm sure I might get a few more while I'm recording. And so that is what's on the docket today. So I hope you guys are ready for it. I'm actually pretty excited. We got some really good questions, and we will get into that right after this. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. If you're anything like me, you probably dream of owning your own piece of hunting or recreational land someday. 
If that's you, give one of the hardworking agents at Arrowhead Land Company a call. They will not only guide you through a complicated process, but also help you pick out the perfect property for your needs, whether that's hunting, farm and ranch, or just a little piece back in the woods where the warriors of the world can't reach you. Arrowhead Land Company, hardworking agents for hardworking landowners. All right, guys and gals, it's time to get into the Q&A portion of the podcast, and I'm pretty darn excited about a few of these questions. So the first one we're going to start off with is one of my favorites, and uh, somebody asked about insight into taking kids hunting. And I might take this in a little bit different direction than some of y'all might think. But uh, first off, I do have a daughter, but she is not even one years old yet. So I have not gotten to take my own child hunting. But I do have, I think, 12 nieces and nephews. Uh, A couple of the older ones are getting into, you know, the outdoor age. I also have tons of friends that I've gone hunting with and taking their kids and everything like that. So, uh, yes, this is a, a, a thing that's near and dear to my heart. So... The, the first thing I want to say is I think a lot of people, when they, you know, picture hunting with their kids, they're probably deer hunting, you know, in a nice box blind or something, a giant buck walks out, they shoot it, and they get to share this awesome moment with their kids. But unfortunately, uh, I think that I think that deer hunting is probably one of the worst ways to get your kids involved in the outdoors. If you're talking big picture, like if you're one, you know, trying to make a lifelong hunter, you know, just if you kind of look at it from the outside perspective, uh, you know, you're sitting for long periods of time. More than likely, it's cold. Um, you know, there's a chance of not seeing anything. There's an even bigger chance of not shooting anything. And so if you just kind of, you know, think of it from a kid's perspective, sitting there for a long time, bored, cold, nothing going on. It's just not a great recipe uh, you know, to get a kid really involved. And so I think the best way is to just pick something with a little bit more action. You know, for me, uh, my dad's not a big hunter, but he did love dove hunting. That's kind of how I started out. And dove hunting, I think, is one of the best ways to get a kid involved because, you know, it's action-packed, lots of shooting. Um, you can get them, interact. you know, like I love, my dad would shoot a bird. Before, you know, I, I couldn't carry a gun, but my dad would shoot a bird. I'd be his bird dog. I'd be running out there looking for it, getting it, bringing it back to him. So it just, it got me involved even though I wasn't old enough to actually shoot. And so dove hunting is great. You know, small game hunting, rabbit hunting. Uh, my brother, we've taken his kids duck hunting several times and, and we make sure like we just don't, we just don't take them to take them. Like we try to wait until you know the weather's right there's you know we've scouted a little bit we like there's like we know when we go there's going to be ducks and there's going to be action um and it can be tough you know like you you got more bodies you know ducks obviously have good eyes we try to have a you know a blind or have them tucked you know way up into the trees or something to where they can still see but they're hidden and so it, it is tougher but trying to do something like that that's a little bit more action-packed, I think, is really good if you're talking long-term. Now, if you are t- talking deer hunting, because I know a lot of people you know, want to take their kids deer hunting. I'm the same way. Uh, I think, again, you got to be very careful with when and how you take them. Um, you know, Opening day when it's super hot, maybe not the best time. Uh, prime rut when you're trying to kill a trophy buck and you're super focused probably also not a great time, even though there might be a lot of action. Uh, but just, you want to make sure you can focus on the kid just as much as you're focused on the hunting. And so for me, I've been dreaming about this for years. You know, when I take my daughter deer hunting for the first time, 
probably is going to be in a you know a stand, a box blind, something like that, somewhere comfortable. Most likely going to be like a late October evening hunt. Um, you know, so that way she doesn't have to wake up early. It's you know cool but not cold, that type of thing. And I more likely than not, I just want to take her to shoot a doe. You know, um, probably like a feeder setup or a food plot. Like if I take her hunting, I want to make sure that there will be a deer in front of us that she gets to see. And I also want to make sure that it's a deer that I'm most likely going to shoot. Um, so again, uh, you know, a doe, maybe there's like a coal buck that, you know, you've had on camera or something like that. Um, again, I just, like you want to make sure there's action, uh, you know, taking a kid to sit in a box for four hours or three hours, whatever. Um, and nothing happens. That's just kind of a big letdown. You know, if you're talking about an eight year old or something like that, uh, I know one thing that's brought up a lot is like, uh, iPads or phones or, you know, like basically do you let a kid have technology or do you make them sit there? And I like to think that I would do something in between. Um, I don't think I want my kid to have an iPad in the deer blind or that's their sole focus, you know, playing a game or watching a movie. Um, for me, I think like coloring books are good or, you know, a regular book, but maybe like kind of an outdoorsy type book, you know, all, there's a hundred books out there about, you know, little boys and their dogs or little kids and their dogs or whatever. Um, you know, like have them coloring pictures of, of deer or rabbits or something like something that's going to get their mind kind of focused on being outside and outdoors and get that imagination going. Um, you know, uh, uh, I remember one of my favorite books as a kid, I think it was called Big Red. It was about a boy who uh, lived out in the woods with his dad. He got to take care of this red, like nice Irish setter. Uh, they talked about, you know, running trap lines and there was a bear, you know, that stalked him and the dog saved the boy from the bear. And like, I loved, you know, adventurous stories like that. And it made me want to get outside more. So, so again, I hope that's not too big of a letdown. Um, but that's just my thoughts on getting kids in the outdoors. And please, please do it um, because we need more hunters. And it's just can be a very special time with kids. So, first question: taking kids hunting. I think it's important to get something exciting and interactive to where the child gets involved. Also. All right, on to question three. Question three is. You kill great deer on private. Why do you also hunt public? And this is kind of a, a tricky answer. And honestly, it's it's morphed a little bit over the years. So I killed a good deer in 2013. I killed a good deer in 2014. 2015, uh, there was really only one buck that I was interested in shooting. And neighbor ended up killing it. And 20 or 2016 rolled around. And there just weren't really any bucks on our property that I was interested in. I had um, an older buck, you know, like a 120-ish eight point that I would have shot just because he was super old. Um, but it just seemed like there was an age gap. Like I had some super old deer that weren't very high scoring. And then I had some nicer younger deer that I didn't really want to shoot. And so I just kind of had this weird gap. And uh, that was also about the time that I found what would later become the Hunting Public Guys. I think at that time they were still with Midwest Whitetail. Um, but Aaron Warburton and Zach Farinbaugh, they, they were still working for Midwest Whitetail, but they did all public land hunting. And so uh, that was, I don't know, it was just very intriguing to me because it wasn't your traditional, like, television entertainment type hunting uh even you know they were working for bill winky who was very much kind of fit that mold 
Um, but man, I, I started watching their videos with Midwest Whitetail, and I was like, these guys are really hunting. And granted, they were hunting mostly Iowa, but they were hunting all public land. And, uh, and I was just super intrigued, and I started learning so much because they were having to hunt deer you know, like actually hunt deer. Like they weren't just sitting on food plots or over feeders or anything. Like they were truly hunting deer. And so I started applying those same things to my private land hunting, but it also for the first time ever kind of got me interested in public. And so again, that year I didn't really have anything I was interested in chasing. And I actually found out there was some public pretty close by so I started exploring it, and I was a little turned off at first because the first place I went, you know, I went to kind of like the obvious easy places like most people do, and I saw tons of tree stands. I found trash, you know, trail, you know, like human trails and stuff, and so right away I was kind of like most people. I was kind of very turned off of public, but the more I learned from those guys, I also started, uh, you know, that was when the hunting beast was getting big, and that really blew my mind, the whole buck bedding thing and everything. And again, like they're finding all this stuff and having all this success on public land. And so that kind of pushed me. And, you know, the more I learned, the more I was like, all right, you know, got to look for those out of the way places. Got to look for the, you know, the places that most people won't go to, like that type of thing. So I started exploring more public land and I started finding some good areas, you know, some places where I wasn't seeing tree stands and I was seeing more deer sign and, and rubs and scrapes and all this stuff. So it just kind of kind of turned into this challenge and uh the more i explored kind of the better i felt about it um i started putting out you know i think the first year i put out one camera and actually got some pictures of some pretty nice bucks uh, i don't think i actually even ended up hunting public that year but got some good pictures um but over time it's kind of morphed into um i don't know it's just it's it's another place to hunt you know like uh, nowadays, like I, I have some good deer to hunt. I love, I love our property, but they're, you know, our property is very difficult to hunt and there are certain winds that just don't work. And so if I want to go hunting and things aren't right on my property, I find myself going to the public land. So it just kind of added places. And then one thing that I just kind of figured out really in the last, I'm going to say, honestly, in the last year, um, and oddly enough, I didn't really learn it on public. I learned it when I went to Nebraska last year. Um, I went up there. Uh, I had permission on some private and everything like that, but I'd never stepped foot on the property. I went there to hunt, and I'd never stepped foot on the property. And so I just started exploring, and I was putting on the miles. I was you know, following terrain features. I was looking at habitat types. I was looking for edge, and I learned so stinking much just trying to figure out where on earth I could put my tree stand up to try to get a deer and so after that trip when I came back to Oklahoma I just kind of found that I was setting my ways on my private land and also I wasn't wanting to you know go in there and leave a bunch of scent like you know really dissecting it like I had just done in Nebraska and so I turned to the public land and so went out there. Um, I, I think I told, yeah, I know I told the story on the podcast. Um, it was uh, it was like mid October. Went up there to hunt. The wind wasn't right for any of my stands, and so I went to a piece of public that I'd scouted quite a bit. Actually, been on several times. Uh, I'd hung two or three cameras on it in the past. And when I got there, it was actually closed for a controlled hunt. And so, just like in Nebraska, when I went to a place I'd never stepped foot on. 
I basically did the same thing. I got on Onyx. I found the next closest piece of public, drove there, had never stepped foot on it. I just got out of my truck, started walking and looking for deer sign. And, uh, you know, found deer trails, found old scrapes, found old rubs, found a spot where acorns were falling and there were some deer poop. So I set up, ended up seeing, I think, three does that evening. And it just kind of confirmed that, like, you can find deer and you can find good places to hunt on public land. And so, again, kind of, I don't know, just back to the whole tradition, or sorry, the original question of why I hunt public land. For me, it, you know, it expands your horizon. It gives you other places to hunt. And it also, it just forces you to learn about deer, which is so important. Um, you know, again, I've talked about in previous episodes, like the, the place that we sold two years ago or whatever it's been now, I just, I, I had been all over that place. I had explored it. I had hunted it for years. I had had so many cameras and feeders and tinkered with it so much. Like I just knew where the deer were going to be. And I knew if I took my time, hunted smart, I was probably going to kill a deer on that property. Cause I'd done it several years in a row. And, uh, when I go and I hunt public land, all that stuff is, is just out the window and it forces you to truly read sign, read terrain, read your maps and find deer. And so long story short, why do I hunt public land still when I have a good private piece to hunt? It's, it's an educational tool for me now. And I, and I really enjoy it. And I find myself now, um, like, you know, this, like leading into this coming year, like I, I have found myself daydreaming more about hunting public almost than I have hunting my private, because again, it's just that unknown. Um, you know, I don't hang a lot of cameras on last year on the, that piece that I was hunting. I think I ended up hanging two cameras. I ended up hunting it. I think I hunted it three or four times. Uh, for the most part, left those cameras until the end of the year. Got I got one pretty darn good buck, a couple decent bucks. Uh, not as good as the the other piece that I was hunting, but it's a lot less pressured. I didn't get any human pictures. Um, I was very careful about my entry and exit. I was always trying to like hide my footsteps and everything, and I never saw any trace of any other hunters. And so that's also pretty exciting about it. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's just it's very good. And now as I'm getting ready to take these other out-of-state hunts, you know, this year I'm going back to Nebraska. I'm planning to go back to Iowa. If I don't draw Iowa, I'm either going to go back to Nebraska or I might just pick another state and go hunt there. And so, again, like instead of just you know, on my own property, I'm so reliant on my food plots and on my uh, feeders and on my knowledge of the area. But if I go to these other states and these other places. I don't have that same knowledge. And so when I hunt public, it's just an educational tool and it sets me up for success no matter where I go. Because at the end of the day, whitetails are whitetails and they're going to do similar things no matter where in the country you are, no matter where whitetail roam. And so, again, I would encourage anybody, even, you know, even if you have access to good public, public or sorry, private land, even if you're a public land hunter, go somewhere else. And again, like if you can go to another state, great. But even if you can't just go to the other side of your own state, you know, if you live in Western Oklahoma, go to Eastern. If you live in Eastern Oklahoma, go to Western Oklahoma, just go somewhere that you're not familiar with and take a walk and just learn how whitetail uses the landscape. So long story short, 
I think I already said that once, but long story short, why do I hunt public land? I use it as an educational tool because I just love learning about whitetails and how to get them in bow range. So that's my answer. All right, moving right along. Question number four comes from a young man who is new to hunting, looking to buy his first deer rifle and wanting to know what caliber he should get. So right off the bat, I want to say there are so many calibers out there and it's hard to go wrong with a lot of them, but he's asked my opinion which one I would get. So I'm going to give it and I'm going to support it. If it's me and I can only buy one rifle and I need to kind of use it for everything, I absolutely hands down am going 308. Again, there's a lot of options out there. I know the 6.5 has been super popular lately. I have a 6.5. I love shooting it. But as far as hunting goes, I have not been super impressed with its knockdown power. I know there's a bunch of different bullets and super fast and all this. People are going to argue with me, but me personally just haven't been super impressed with it. Um, you got your old school 30 out six and your 270. Great rounds. I've killed a lot of deer with a 270. But uh, the reason I like the 308, honestly, the biggest reason is because it is also an AR round. You know, the AR 10 shoots a 308, which means when times get tough or you have some kind of crazy political thing going on in the world, there are two rounds that they are going to keep making a bunch of 223 and 308. So ammo is not a, a, a issue. They also make all kinds of ammo for it. So you can buy like a lighter grain bullet that goes faster if you're hunting smaller stuff. You can buy a larger grain bullet if you're hunting bigger stuff. It's just a good all-around round. And uh, again, ammo, you can always find it pretty much. It's cheap. You can buy cheap stuff. You can buy nice stuff. And it's going to have plenty of knockdown power for whitetails, hogs, coyotes whatever you want to shoot in our area or you know if you get a little bit older you want to go explore a little bit and go on an elk hunt something like that plenty of takedown power for an elk mule deer whatever you want so if i'm only choosing one rifle i'm choosing a 308 all right question number five is tree stand locations for private land in southeast oklahoma or cattle country so we've covered cattle a little bit with the the feeder pins and everything like that but just kind of some good general rules one thing that cattle make really tough is hunting like field edges because a lot of times the cows are going to be out there early in the morning out in the pasture you know eating everything and then as soon as it gets hot they're just going to walk to the closest trees and just sit there for the majority of the day in the shade and so a lot of times those field edges just aren't going to be very good because there's either cows there then or it's all you know knocked down cleaned out but a lot of times you just have to go a little deeper and you know those cows they usually don't go deep into the timber or anything like that they're just kind of on that edge and uh and yeah you just kind of got to get away from the edge a little bit and then a good just kind of overall strategy that i've found in southeastern oklahoma i love hunting creeks like right on the edge of a creek and my absolute favorite is finding a creek that runs east-west if possible or just finding a section of the creek that runs east-west and you just want to look for trails you know scout do a little bit of scouting and figure out which side of the creek the deer like to be on a lot of times they're going to favor one side or the other because of some terrain feature or wind or food source or something like that so a lot of times you're going to find a lot more sign on one side of the creek than the other so once you figure out which side of the creek that you want to be hunting on that's where the wind comes into play so let's say the deer like to be on the north side of the creek 
I'm going to hang a stand right on the creek, on the north side of it, and I'm going to hunt that stand on north winds. So the wind is going or coming from away from the creek, blowing over me, and then to the other side of the creek. And I'm going to approach that stand from the south. So you approach from the south, you cross the creek, and immediately climb up into your stand. And you got a great spot as those deer travel back and forth along that creek, going from one place to the other. And so I've had a lot of success on our on our other property. We just so happened to have a creek on each side of the property, and there was a perfect spot on each side where the creek turned east and west. And I had a lot of success on both of those uh, areas because I would always enter an exit from the other side of the creek where the deer just didn't spend as much time. Uh, you know, it helped with the wind. The wind would always come, you know, from the upwind side past me across the creek and the deer just didn't go back there. So it helped me not be winded. Um, that creek is also good to just kind of help control your scent, you know, especially in the evening as things cool down your scent is going to travel down to that creek and just follow it whichever way the creek is running and flowing. And it just helps get that scent out of the area and away from you. So that's my go-to strategy. I love hunting right on the borders of creeks. Anytime you can find any kind of you know terrain feature, obviously is going to be good. A saddle, something like that. Uh, changes in habitat type. If you got like a swampy area, getting right on the edge of that swamp in the hardwoods is usually good. Um, any little thing like that is really going to help out. So like I said, whether you're in cattle country or not, those are good, some good stand locations. And I think we've covered cows quite a bit with the feeders and the, the field edges and everything. So like I said, a lot of times if you have cows, you just got to go a little bit deeper. Question six. This one's a fun one. Just kind of fun for me, I guess. Money being no object, what is one hunt you would like to do? This one is pretty easy for me. Uh, hands down, if money was no object, I would go on a true Alaskan moose hunt. Way back in the bush, you know, Argo, base camp type thing. Uh, you know, Jim Shockey type stuff uh, where just you got these huge, crazy, giant moose that have never seen a human. You're in a, a crazy rough environment. You know, the the weather's out to get you. Uh, just, it just, it's like an adventure hunt. You also just have this huge animal that you're hunting. You get a huge trophy. And, uh, and again, you know, I was talking about experiences earlier. Just the whole experience absolutely an Alaskan moose hunt. I, I really don't know anybody who's done a hunt like that. Um, I do have an uncle who killed a moose probably 20 years ago, um, but it wasn't like a, a crazy, you know, backwoods type hunt. He stayed at a nice lodge and everything like that. And that that's not the moose hunt I want. I know that kind of sounds nice, but like I said, I want that true immersed in nature, crazy backwoods, out in the middle of nowhere moose hunt. So uh, a float trip could also be cool. I know that's much more affordable, um, you know, where they drop you off and you have rafts and stuff and you get to hunt and kind of float down and hunt. You get to cover a lot more ground, I think, that way. Um, but again, if money's no object, uh, I think that's kind of the cheaper route. I think I'd rather go full on guided and, uh, you know, float plane, all that cool stuff. So money is no option. I'm going moose hunting. Moving right along here. Question seven, nice, easy, simple question here. What do you plant in your food plots? So this is my first year doing a spring plot. Uh, I've tried some in the past, but it was, they were all just kind of halfway done and, and never really put a bunch of effort into it. So this is my first real attempt at a spring plot, and I just went straight soybeans. Um, yeah, I mean, you can get some more diversity. It's a lot more hard to get diversity in the spring just because there's not quite as many 
plants that grow well together in the spring. And so I, I've always wanted to do a corn plot, but we just have too many hogs where I am. And I don't want to waste my money planting a bunch of corn seed. And then, you know, the hogs just come destroy it. Corn is also much harder to grow. Like it's hard to do that with just like a no-till drill or broadcast. You really need like a corn planter to plant corn, which I don't have. And so between those two things, I've never really tried corn. But like I said, this year I am planting soybeans or did plant soybeans for the first time. And so sprayed. Uh, you know, cleared the ground and everything like that. No-till drilled soybeans in. Uh, I think I mentioned this when I talked about it on the podcast. I covered every other hole on the uh, on the drill because it was set at 7.5-inch spacing. So I just taped over every other hole to give me 15-inch uh, spacing to spread those plants out a little bit. If you wanted to do them on 7.5-inch centers, you could. Um, but like a lot of commercial farmers, they're doing you know, 15 and some even do it on 30 inch centers. And so I just think having a little bit more space is good. So I went ahead and covered every other one. And then when it comes to fall plots, there are so many things you can do and you really just have to find what works for you. If you're, you know, doing a smaller plot, like a quarter to half acre, honestly, the best thing you can probably do is just go buy a mix, you know, from the hardware store or feed store or wherever because um, a lot of those now are coming with really good mixes. Um, you know, most of them are going to have wheat or oats as the main deal, and then they're going to have, you know, uh, turnips, vetch, uh, uh, radishes, who knows, all, you know, kale. I think a lot of people are putting kale in those now. And so if you're just doing like a one smaller plot, I think that's definitely the simplest and easiest way to go because it's going to give you a lot of variety. Um, so for me, I'm planning right now, I'm planning about six acres of food plots every year and I don't want to spend a whole bunch of money buying, you know, $40 quarter acre bags in, you know, trying to get a full, uh, six acres out of that. And so what I've started doing a lot of times for the ranch, we end up buying either wheats or oats or rye or something like that to plant for the cattle for, for fall grazing. And so a lot of times I just steal some of that from, uh, uh, you know, from the ranch to use for my food plots and then just add in some mixers. And so I'll go buy like a quarter acre canister of, you know, 100% turnips and then I'll buy another one of all radishes. And then instead of just planting all of those on one quarter acre, I just mix it in with uh, the wheats and oats and all that, um, whatever I'm planting. So it just kind of spreads it out throughout the plot. Um, and so, yeah, anything good like that, again, it's hard to go wrong with wheat. Uh, oats are really good. I've found that deer don't, uh, like oats quite as much as wheat, if you're just talking about the taste. Um, but they actually grow better than wheat does. They're a little bit more frost tolerant. Uh, basically, you know, even if you have a frost, if it warms up again, it'll continue to grow. It's very, um, graze tolerant. And, and honestly, you know, mixing those two is a great idea. So then you kind of have the attraction of the wheat and then the benefit of the oats. And, you know, anytime you're diversifying your fall food plot, it's a good thing. So so for me, it changes a little bit every year, but usually it's some kind of cereal grain, either wheat, oats, or rye. And then the rest, I'm just mixing all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, usually, almost always, I do turnips and radish. Um, I think last year I bought some rape and some sugar beets. Uh, yeah, whatever you want to throw in there is usually good. And, uh, you know, food plot mixes are good because, you know, they're tailored to hunters and everything like that. But again, it's very expensive. Like you can go buy a hundred pounds of wheat for the same price as one of those little bitty 
quarter acre bags that you find at the stores most of the time. And so, uh, yeah, basically just don't be fooled by the marketing, like deer, deer, you know, if you have a good food source and by that, I mean, basically anything, but woody brows and stuff like that. And deer are still going to eat that woody brows, but just anything that's out of the ordinary, um, that's a good thing to plant. Uh, you know, one thing that, uh, you always got to keep in mind too, is look at your neighbors. You know, if your neighbor has 300 acres of wheat, don't plant wheat, give them something else. You know, the turnips, the radishes, oats, uh, you know, just something because deer are, I don't know what's a good word for it. They're, they're pickers, you know, they eat a little bit of this and then they go somewhere else and they eat a little bit of that. And so just having a variety is always a good thing. So yeah, change it up a little bit every year. And, uh, but that's what I plant in my food plots. All right. I'm losing count, but I think this is either question six or seven, wherever we're at now. And it is, what are your plans this season out of state trips? Uh, I'll probably end up doing, um, I don't know about a whole podcast, but a pretty good chunk of a podcast coming up on my plans, but I'll go ahead and touch on it right now because I have quite a few of them at least roughly planned. So September 1st, I plan to be in Nebraska. Um, They have a September 1st opener. I went up there last year. For those of you who maybe this is your first time listening, my sister moved to Nebraska last year, and uh, the the family that she married into has a bunch of farm ground. So went up there, did some turkey hunting slash scouting for deer season. Uh, when I went last year, I I had never stepped foot on the property. I really didn't have any idea what to expect. When I got there, the the main property that I planned on hunting, I found out that um, my sister's brother in law had a dirt bike track on, so that kind of messed with the plan. But I also learned while I was there that I could pretty easily get access on all the neighbors also because, um, you know, my, or her father-in-law has born and raised there, knows everybody for miles around. And so I got some permission on some neighbors and things like that. And so this year going in much more prepared, you know, I have some, some more land to hunt. I've done some scouting. I've, you know, walked and, and gotten familiar with some of the stuff. So I wouldn't say I know, you know, know it like the back of my hand or anything like that, but I'm much more familiar with the area. When I went up and did my turkey hunt, I took a couple cheap trail cameras with me. So I think I have three trail cameras out, um, three different properties. And so I don't know how much those trail cameras are going to help me, you know, kill a deer while I'm there. But they'll at least kind of give me an idea of the caliber of deer that I should expect. You know, whether I should shoot the first two-year-old that comes along or if I should hold out for something more. Uh, I had one camera out there last year and actually got some pretty good bucks. But while I was there during turkey season, I found two or I know I found three deadheads. And uh, I was talking to uh, my sister's father-in-law and I was asking him if it had been real dry and he said it had. So I'm thinking they got hit by EHD and so not sure how that's going to play into it this year. But but yeah, so September 1st, I'll be in Nebraska. Uh, October 1st opening day, probably going to be somewhere in Oklahoma, not sure yet. And then be in Oklahoma all of October. November is going to get a little bit hectic. The first weekend of October, or I'm sorry, the first weekend of November is always the Texas rifle opener. And I usually go out to my buddy's place in West Texas. A group of us get together out there and, and hunt his lease. And so more than likely I'll be there. And then I just actually put in for my Iowa deer tag. And so if I draw Iowa, I am going to Iowa sometime in November. I'm not sure yet. 
Uh, luckily with my job, I can be a little bit flexible with dates. And so I'm thinking about just kind of giving my boss like a, Hey, sometime in this time frame, I'm going to be gone. And then as it gets closer and I can kind of get some weather reports and stuff, I might be able to shift a little bit. So somewhere in that second to third week of November, I'll be headed to Iowa. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, if I were to not draw Iowa, I still kind of want to go on some kind of trip, um, you know, if I'm not successful in Nebraska, I could maybe go back there for a couple days. I thought about maybe just switching it up and going to a different part of Oklahoma, you know, hunting some public land. I probably won't spend the money to buy another out of state tag somewhere like, you know, Missouri or wherever. Um, just don't need to spend any more money on, on tags this year. So, so yeah, I, I do want to go on some other trip, whether I draw or if I don't draw Iowa. So, so yeah, other than that, Lots of Oklahoma hunting, hopefully. Um, I kind of have a you know, an open invitation to my buddy's place in Texas, so I'm kind of calling this the year of the whitetail. So I'll be hunting Nebraska, hopefully Iowa, Oklahoma, and Texas this year, all for whitetails. Not doing any western big game elk or anything like that. Um, I'm not going to lie, after getting my truck and all my gear stolen on my elk hunt last year, it put a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth for going west. Um, I'm sure I'll go back at some point. I, I still really want to kill an elk. Uh, mule deer is also on the list, but uh, I don't know. For some reason, like I talked about earlier, just as I've gotten older, I just really, really enjoy hunting whitetails. And so, so yeah, as far as my hunt plans this year, that's kind of a rough outline of where I'll be four states, all for whitetail, and I'm very, very super excited about it. You have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless, high-speed internet, latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. All right, I got time for one last question to close us out here, and I saved this one for last. This one comes from my Sportsman's Empire brother, Mitch, from Pennsylvania. Also, if you guys missed it, I was on Mitch's podcast, I believe, last week, the Pennsylvania Woodman, so be sure to check that out. We had an awesome conversation. Anyway, Mitch uh, messaged me and sent me this question. How has your drive, motivation, and goals changed throughout your hunting years to the point you are now? Really, really good question. One that made me really sit back and think and, and contemplate a lot. If I go back to when I first started hunting, again, didn't grow up in a a hunting family, didn't really have access to good hunting ground or anything like that, and I just wanted to kill a deer, but I had had really bad motivation, if I'm being completely honest, when I started out. Uh, Again, didn't really have anybody close to me that hunted or to show me the way, so I found a lot of my knowledge and motivation from hunting television, which is honestly not a great spot to get it if you're, you know, a young person. And so I'm watching these guys and gals hunt, you know, super nice private ground, killing all these monster bucks. And that's what I thought deer hunting was. And so when I did get to start hunting a little bit, I was, you know, out for the giant, nice 10 point walking slowly through a field. And that's just not how things go. And so, um, I ended up killing my first deer when I was 15 
a buddy of mine from church gave me a ride out to my uncle's place and just got super lucky. Ended up killing this like two year old seven point. And, and I, I'm not going to lie. Like when I got up to it, I was ecstatic, but there was definitely a little part of me that was like, man, this deer isn't as big as those bucks on TV. And, and I hate that. Like I absolutely hate that, but that's just how I felt because that's the only thing I had to compare it to. And so, you know, from that point on, I was like, all right, I want a bigger buck. And so the next buck I killed was also a two-year-old, but it was a little bit bigger, eight point. And then the next deer I killed was like a three-year-old, nine point. And kind of on and on, you know, they slowly got bigger and bigger. And and just kind of as it went, my my goals and motivation changed. You know, at one point, it was like, all right, 130 or nothing. And then I killed that. And so I was like, all right, 140 or nothing. And, and it just kind of kept going up and up. And then in 2017... Got super lucky. Ended up killing a really nice buck. Still my biggest buck to date. And um, and after that, I was kind of like, now what? You know, like like it's possible for me to kill a buck, a, a bigger buck. It wasn't like a two inch deer or anything like that. Uh, in fact, the opposite. I think I've told uh, people before. You know, I sent a picture to a couple of buddies, and a couple of them were like, "Man, buck of a lifetime." And I was like, "Well, I sure hope not. Like, I hope I kill a bigger buck." Um, but that's not necessarily my goal or my motivation these days. Now that I'm getting a little older, now that I have a daughter and, and hunting time's a little bit more precious, it, it's much less about the headgear, the, the score, the size of the antlers, and so much more about the the experience. And kind of like when you know what I was talking about earlier with, with the public land and everything, like for me killing a big buck is great. And yes, I still try to kill a giant buck every year, but it's not just the size of the antlers. Like I want the whole deal because I've just, I've killed enough deer now and I've learned to really appreciate the, the moment. And you know, this buck that I killed this last year with my bow, you know, he came charging in, there was two other bucks with him. There was two or three does out there. Deer were scattering everywhere. It was late season. Uh, you know, he, he was facing me. I drew my bow and he just kept facing me and I had to let down and then he turned and I drew again and he, st- you know, put that foot forward and gave me a perfect shot. I 12 ringed him. He went down in sight and like that, I mean, you can probably hear it in my voice. Like that is what gets me excited. And that's why I do all the stuff that I do. That's why I'm planning all these food plots and sweating my, you know, what's off all summer doing all this prep work and setting up these blinds and hanging tree stands and, and fighting poison ivy and everything. I'm doing all this work for that one moment, that 10 to 60 seconds where you have that interaction with that mature buck. He's right on top of you. He doesn't know you're there. You're whispering to yourself, aim low, aim low. Because I always shoot high, so I'm constantly whispering that to myself as he's there. I'm controlling my breathing. I'm thinking about all these little things that I train myself to think about and contemplate all year long so that when this moment, when this buck is in front of me, I shut everything else out, and that's all that I'm concentrating, and that is what I live for nowadays. That is my motivation. Those are my goals. It's much less, gosh, just much less score-oriented. Um, again, I, I, like, I love shooting big bucks. I'm all about shooting mature bucks. You know, like, I'm not going to kill that three-year-old. I'm pretty good about not killing four-year-olds anymore. I'm looking for that five-plus. I've killed several, you know, six, seven, and eight-year-old deer. Just very blessed in that regard. 
And that's what I'm looking for. And I'm looking for going to Nebraska and shoot, I'll kill a a three-year-old in Nebraska if he's coming in all bristled up and I have two days to hunt and he finally gives me a shot. When I go to Iowa, like I'm, I'm, I, I know I'm spoiled in saying this, but I think a lot of people in Oklahoma can also say this. Just don't tell anybody else. I'm going to Iowa knowing that there's a good chance that I'm not going to kill the biggest buck of my life. But I want to go there, and I want to experience that crazy rut when you have a great buck-to-doe ratio, and you got monsters running through the woods everywhere, and it's hot and heavy, and you can rattle, and you can grunt, and there's just seven bucks chasing one doe. Like That is what I'm after. That is the experience and the goal that I'm looking forward to, so... Great way. I hope y'all uh, can you know hear the excitement and the passion in my voice. That's why I do this. That's why I, I hunt. That's why I have this podcast because I love sharing those experiences with other people. So, yeah, I hope you guys you know ask these questions to yourself. What's your motivation? What's your goals? How has that changed from when you were younger to today? What are you looking forward to passing on to your kids and that same passion? Yeah, man, what a great time. I'm all kinds of fired up. But anyway, I better shut this thing down. I need to get going. Thank you guys for all your questions. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I'm not going to do a a separate outro. I'm just going to end it right here. So I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you guys for supporting the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. And until next week, I will see you guys right back here. (laughs) 